The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Welcome to Sing With Your Feet, the podcast in which we take a few minutes to consider our ideal life and try to look for untrodden paths to help us get there. The podcast in which we consider the overlapping sections in the gorgeous Venn diagrams that make up our lives, even when it makes us a bit squeamish. The podcast in which we are willing, in the privacy of our own thoughts, to consider uncomfortable or awkward topics for just a few minutes. My name is Lily Fields, and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the next half hour or so. Na, 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 Lily Fields. Oh, <laughs> that's you. In my mind, you sound like a southern belle. Look at you in that hoop skirt and mint julep in hand. You are perfectly adorable. You're making me nervous, Lily. What is it that we're going to be talking about that will make me squeamish? <laughs> Funny you should ask, my favorite country bumpkin. Today, we are going to talk about sex. Well, sexuality at least. The subject is remarkably vast and goes way deeper than just the act of sex. Yes, but Lily, are you going to bore us with those Venn diagrams again? Oh my goodness, yes. I am an unabashed fan of the Venn diagram. You see, I like to picture my life as a Venn diagram, with 19 overlapping and intersecting circles. Each one of those circles is a category, or a theme, in my ideal life. The way those circles overlap, along with the size of each of the circles and the extent to which they intersect, that is the blueprint for my life. Fine. All right. But, Lily Fields, you aren't going to be doling out sex advice today, are you? <laughs> Me? Oh, you know I hate to give advice. On the other hand, your wicked stepsister, Layla, is here. And she is going to be talking about an incredibly thought-provoking subject that comes with an uncomfortable piece of advice that you'll want to tuck away for the future. For the last several weeks and throughout the summer, we will be talking about those 19 ideal life categories. Now, if you'll remember with me, the ideal life exercise is a way to, every single day, five to 15 minutes at a time, check our progress towards living our ideal life. If, when I say the words ideal life, you are unclear as to what I'm talking about, go back to the early episodes of the podcast. In them, I walk you through the first very basic steps of the ideal life exercise. The essence of those early steps is to articulate the kind of person we would need to be to live our ideal life. We did this by finishing one simple prompt as many times as we needed to, and the prompt went like this. In my ideal life, I am a person who... The ways you complete the sentence will be unique to you, but overall, you will find that there are themes to the way you see your ideal life. Your themes will be different from mine, and that is great. Your Venn diagram will create a fabulous blueprint that is uniquely 
you. The important thing is to learn the process of articulating who we want to be to live out our ideal life and making tiny steps towards becoming that person. In order to check our progress each day, we lift out just one of those circles from the Venn diagram and answer a few questions about it. These are the questions. Number one, what is working? Number two, what isn't working? Number three, what do I need to think about? And number four, what do I need to do today to get me closer to my ideal life? So far this season, we have gone in depth about the themes of our bodies and our health, work, scheduling and planning, parenting, keeping a clean house, and spirituality. I have a million thoughts on sexuality that I want to share with you, but I'm going to try to keep them focused on the areas in which sexuality overlaps with themes that we've already talked about, specifically two of those themes. All right, are you ready? Let's talk about sex, baby. In my ideal life, I am a person who, if you've got them handy, Return to your ideal life statements and see if you have any that pertain to sexuality, your sex life, or any kind of conversation around sex. Here are some of mine. Please don't be shocked. In my ideal life, I am a person who isn't afraid of her own body, can regulate her passions but doesn't need to, is always willing to try new things, knows how to ask for what she wants, gets everything she asks for, doesn't get too caught up in her thoughts, can have open, honest conversations about sexuality with her partner, is a sex-positive parent, keeps an open mind to ideas about identity and expression, is always an ally, and never judges another person's lifestyle. So why are we talking about sex? Well, I mean, sex is awesome. <laughs> That's why. I am a natural enthusiast. When I like something, or when an idea scratches a creative itch in the back of my brain, I can get into a groove and become a little bit obsessed. This can happen in little things, as witnessed by my rainbow dress fascination, and in bigger things, for example, writing unceasingly, literally nonstop when I have an idea, to the point of not eating or sleeping until I get out a first draft. I just have to get the words out of my brain, like they were sand under my eyelids. I have two distinct thoughts about sex that I remember having in my life. One, when I was young, I was maybe 12 or 13, we had been given some sort of sex ed talk in our health class, and there was a lot of this kind of, it is dangerous because you can get pregnant talk, and also you could get a disease. And at some point, someone in the class mentioned that some people might find it pleasurable. My instinctive reaction was to repost in my itty-bitty little adolescent brain with the thought, then I should never do that. What I knew about myself then is what I know about myself now. I do not moderate well. When I find something I like, I tend to binge on it. This is as true of chocolate chip cookies as it is for rainbow dresses as it is for a new sewing technique. So if something was pleasurable and dangerous, then I needed to stay as far away from it as possible. Now, I did say that there were two distinct thoughts that I have entertained about sex in my life. The second one came some 25 years after the first. I'm certainly no angel, 
but I am nothing if not absolutely faithful to the rules I set out for myself. I sometimes test my own rules and limits, but since I can only thrive with guardrails and rules, yet I also have a distinct distrust of authority figures who try to impose rules, the only person I am ever really willing to accept rules from is myself. This requires some mental gymnastics, being at once the benevolent dictator who sets the rules to regulate my behavior, and being the one who must live by the rules. That little thought I had after our middle school health class became a default rule for myself that I set in place, and without knowing it, I set myself up for a lifetime of vaginismus. Look it up, it sucks. Fast forward to a honeymoon, during which that little rule remained ingrained in my mind and wrapped up in my body, even when the context should have permitted the rule to be moot. Fast forward to any number of embarrassing attempts to get the ball rolling. Nothing. The benevolent dictator would not let go of her firm grip. Fast forward some 14 years to meeting with a counselor who finally took me seriously and gave me some exercises I needed in order to make penetration possible. This was to come face to face with the dictator who had set the rules and openly defy her. It was terrifying. My body had wholly submitted to her dictatorship over all those years and unlearning the rules was painful. Fast forward a few months after that, when I started to make progress, Enter thought number two. What if this is something that actually feels good? As a young person, there was no one thought that skeezed me out as much as the thought of my parents having sex. I am certain that for you, it's the same. I'm pretty sure we aren't the only ones either. It's kind of like when our parents want to talk about planning their funerals. It feels like our brains are wired to want to avoid those kind of conversations. And yet, as a parent... Because of my rather unlikely relationship with sexuality that I explained a second ago, it was incredibly important to me that I provide an environment for my children in which they are knowledgeable and respectful of their own bodies, and that they are never ashamed for their interest in their bodies or their curiosity about sexuality. I guess, you know, as a boy mom and as a woman of the Me Too generation, it is of primordial importance to me to raise boys who will not end up as predators. I hate it that I even have to say that out loud, but I can only imagine that the mothers of the Harvey Weinsteins and the Jeffrey Epsteins of the world did not consciously say to themselves, I want to raise a sexual predator. It somehow just happened. Well, in as much as it depends on me, I want to raise boys with a healthy relationship to their bodies, their desires, and critically important, to consent. I want them to feel comfortable expressing what they like and what they don't like. I want them to know how to set limits and to know how to respect limits set by others. If those last sentences didn't sound explicitly sexual, that's because they're not, but their implications in the long run can be. Boys who are uncomfortable with their bodies or their desires will find ways to pursue these interests secretly. Privacy is great. Secrecy is less great. Secrecy can push boys to start accessing things like porn, which will give them unrealistic expectations of sex. I'm not completely anti-porn, but I don't want my boys turning to porn to learn about sex because what they will be learning won't help them in real life. 
Asking for and receiving consent is a huge deal in my house. This is as little as me asking for permission to kiss the cheek of one of my boys. If they aren't in the mood for it, then they need to learn that they can say no and that their no will be respected. Also, that when they give their consent, it makes them enjoy the kiss all the more. <laughs> and me too, incidentally. This, of course, has digressed into becoming something recently that my youngest will be standing next to me while I'm doing the dishes and saying, Hey, Mama, may I please spank your butt? Which, I'll admit, sounds awful. <laughs> but it is by far not the strangest thing that you will hear from me in this episode. If it has to do with one of us wanting to touch the other, we make sure we ask first. And believe it or not, after a while, this becomes natural and almost kind of fun. I genuinely want my boys to grow up to be great partners for whomever they end up with, and I believe with all my heart that these skills will serve them well. And their partners can thank me later. I mentioned in the episode about parenting that the ways in which we fail are not cause for regret, but things we can laugh at as if they were a Pinterest cake fail. Well, let me share one of those stories with you just to prove my point. My boys and I were in the car on our way to school. I've taken to saying Autobots roll out when I pull out of the driveway, inspired by something I heard on my favorite podcast ever that's called My Brother, My Brother and Me. My scalawags are not amused by my new tagline. I've also tried rescue bots, roll to the rescue, but same thing, they just ain't having it. So I said, well, anyway, have I ever said anything funny? I mean, moms aren't funny, right? And my eldest started guffawing and said, well, there was that time you told me I had a beautiful penis. And my heart stopped. I said that? What in the world? When did I say that? Oh, dear. I said that? I asked, hoping that no one in the world would ever hear this conversation that I am now telling you about in my podcast. You did, piped in the littlest one. You said I had a beautiful penis, too. Oh, and then the conversation came back to me. My boys had been in one of their pre-getting-into-their-pajama moments of complete craziness one night. Oh, they like to get naked and run around, and it's one of my least favorite moments of the day, because they're uncontrollable. Well, one of them said something to the other like, Your feet are weird. And I said, No, his feet are beautiful. Every single part of him is beautiful. <laughs> Which led then to them asking me, Are my elbows beautiful? Are my nostrils beautiful? Is my belly button beautiful? And of course, you guessed it, is my penis beautiful? To which I, probably rather distractedly and with great annoyance, would have responded, yes, dear, your penis is beautiful. And there you have it. You see, I was trying so hard to make sure that they weren't body shaming each other. Oh yes, yet another point of overlap in my Venn diagram, parenting and body positivity, that I inadvertently created a comically awful opportunity for my boys one day to tell someone, my mom thinks my penis is beautiful. Lord have mercy. I literally cannot think of something I would rather die than have my children repeat out of context. Pinterest cake fail or Lily Fields failing at being an open-minded parent. Who wore it best? Elle me donne envie de chanter, danser. Elle pousse à agir. Donner...
est partagé Et tout simplement De sourire Many episodes ago, I mentioned in an offhand way that I believed that God cared deeply about my sexuality and that I had proof of this. Well, again, I don't want to get too weird in all this conversation about spirituality, but I do believe that God created people. I don't know all the details about how he did it, but it's simply something that I've chosen to believe. But when I stop to think about the fact that our bodies are capable of such mind-blowing sensations or the range of emotional pleasures that come from sexual connection, I just have to believe that God must really, really like us. And particularly, he must really, really like women because he gave us this one little organ that exists for only one purpose. That purpose being to give us a few seconds of amazing delight. I mean, it does absolutely nothing else, nothing else but pleasure. In spite of all the misogyny inherited from the generations past, from the traditions, both religious and cultural, that have sought to subjugate women, I cannot help but believe that God's eye sparkles a little bit when he thinks about that little tiny gift he gave us women. Living free from oppression is great, but do you have a clitoris? I believe this in a rather general way for all women, but I also see how the blueprint of my life has made it possible for me to discover more about who God is and the kind of relationship he wants with me the more I learn about my sexuality. As an enthusiast and a creative person, I have all kinds of ideas about what I want for my own sexuality. Without getting into kinks or fantasies or specific turn-ons, because those are a rabbit hole from which we are unlikely to find our way back, I do believe that there is a spiritual element to all of those things. I read a fascinating book recently called Unwanted by an author and psychologist named Jay Stringer, in which he talks about the relationship between spirituality and undesirable sexual behaviors. These unwanted behaviors like viewing porn or buying sex, which are problematic when they cause relational trouble or get a person in legal trouble for it, can be coping mechanisms formed in childhood that are then sexualized to help a person manage anxiety and trauma. Our willingness to examine these behaviors and to bring our concerns about them to God can help us first deal with the initial anxiety-causing situations and even eventually to releasing those behaviors that we view as undesirable. I love this idea, especially considering that I have read recently that the average age for boys to be first exposed to porn is 10 years old. This idea that God cares about our sexuality is profoundly beautiful to me. It's another facet of the relationship I want to have with God, and it makes it possible for me to address my frustrations or uncertainties about my sexuality with the person who made the blueprint for my life. I treat sexuality as a separate ideal life theme from my marriage because of the two reasons that I just mentioned, that being that it's part of my life as a parent, and it also overlaps with spirituality. But of course, sexuality overlaps with marriage. It also overlaps with friendships. Lyella Kelly, Death Doula and Your Wicked Stepsister is going to share about how sexuality can overlap with friendships. Lyella, the floor is yours. Lily has had all sorts of things to say about sex. 
And as you know, I am the Wicked Stepsister, and I talk all about death. Do you see where I'm going with this? You guessed it, sex and death. By the way, this is a topic I never thought I would be talking about on a podcast, but that's okay because it's important and therefore we're going to talk about it. So let's get started. Alice Radosh is a doctor of neuropsychology. After losing her husband of 40 years, she felt like she could cope. She had the skills and support systems she needed to navigate her loss. Or so she thought. She was comfortable handling finances, car maintenance, and household repairs. She had family and friends who allowed her to openly talk about her loss. She had found comfort in memoirs like Joan Didion's popular The Year of Magical Thinking, a book, by the way, that I really loved. With all these tools at her disposal, she said she was blindsided. There was something she hadn't considered, sexual bereavement, a grief associated with the loss of sexual intimacy. She explained, gone was the appreciation and understanding of bodies that had aged together, the decades of shared humor and pillow talk that were intertwined with sexual enjoyment. I was unprepared for the depth of this loss. From her explanation, it's clear that this grief could not be easily fixed. It was a complicated combination of emotional, cognitive, and physical needs. Take just a minute to let that sink in. The loss she experienced wasn't just one thing. It was shared experiences, mutual understanding, and a physical relationship interwoven. Where can a person turn to cope with the complexities of this form of grief? Well, that gets a little bit tricky. Research has revealed that negative attitudes toward later life sexuality still exist within the medical and therapeutic professions. Should these negative attitudes still exist? Should this really be an awkward topic? I'm going to say no, and this is my evidence. Bob Dole. Yes, Bob Dole, the senator who lost the presidential election to Bill Clinton. Over 20 years ago, at the age of 75, he appeared in an ad for Viagra, a little blue pill that exploded onto the scene, becoming the fastest selling drug in history. Doesn't that say a little something about sex in later life? So back to Alice and her complex loss. Where could she turn? Being adept at research, she and her team surveyed 158 women who were 55 years and older. The results were revealing. 72% presumed they would miss sex if their partner died. Most women thought they would want to talk with friends about this aspect of their grief. But more said that they would rather their friend raise the topic instead of them. Despite this preference, more than half said it would not occur to them to bring up this topic with a widowed friend, and even if they did think of it, they would probably be too embarrassed, even with a very close friend. Okay, so what have we learned here? It seems that people want to talk about the grief they're experiencing relating to the loss of sexual intimacy but don't feel supported enough to address it either with medical professionals or close friends. And this is a problem because of something called disenfranchised grief. WebMD says this, 
Disenfranchised grief is when your grieving doesn't fit in with your larger society's attitudes about dealing with death and loss. The lack of support you get during your grieving process can prolong emotional pain. End quote. Prolong emotional pain. We don't want that. We all want healthy, well-adjusted, emotionally balanced lives for ourselves and our loved ones, no matter our age or our circumstances. The vast majority of us aren't therapists or medical professionals. They definitely have their place in the grief puzzle. But you and I, we are people who love other people. That puts us in a position to support our loved ones. Did you notice what the research revealed about what the women needed from others? They wanted to be able to talk about their grief. They needed others to listen and acknowledge their loss. Could you set your own awkwardness aside and be that listening ear? The more conversations we have about grief, loss, and death, the more we will learn about supporting others, and in turn, others will know how to support us when we face these challenges. Remember, talking about death, even death and sex, won't kill you. I promise. Thank you, Layla, for being willing to go there. That's another one of those conversations that you hope you never have to have with anyone. But with what you've shared today, we are all better armed to support the people that we love. I'll put a link to the book that Lyella talked about and to her website in the show notes. So let's take a minute to review the four questions that we ask for each one of our ideal life categories in regards to our sexuality. Number one, what is working? Have you been having great sex lately? Did you ask for something in the bedroom that you got and you are over the moon happy about it? Did you have a great parenting moment where you were able to demystify where babies came from? Good for you. What isn't working? Go ahead, be honest. There might be more than one thing that's not working. Did something just not click last night between the sheets? Are you feeling uncomfortable in your body and this is having an impact on your desire? Are you struggling with unwanted sexual behaviors? All of these things are okay. Just state the facts. What do you need to think about? How could you address what didn't work last night with your partner? Is your body image a health problem or is it a question of body positivity? Would you be willing to be curious about the origin of your unwanted sexual behaviors? Speaking of which, I'll put a link to that book I talked about in the show notes too. What one small thing can you do today to get you closer to your ideal sexual life? If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. Seeking to live your ideal life is an act of self-love. Taking your sexuality seriously, being curious about your sexuality is an act of self-love. Taking a few minutes each day to consider those four questions is a way to pursue your ideal life. You are an amazing human being and you deserve more little beads of joy on the necklace of your life. Do not relegate your sexuality to between the sheets when the implications of a healthy relationship with sex can positively impact your friendships, your parenting, your body, your marriage, your spirituality. Think of all those gorgeous, mind-glowing beads of joy this category has the potential to provide. This world needs more joy. 
sexuality can be a phenomenal source of joy. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. This summer, I'll be putting together a few episode highlights that should be easily shareable on YouTube and on social media for when you want to share the podcast with a friend. If you have any favorite segments that you would like me to include, drop me a line. It's lily at lilyfieldschallenge.com. That's lily, L-I-L-Y, at lilyfieldschallenge.com. Or you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. I have also been posting the full audio on YouTube in a version that might be easier to share with people unfamiliar with the wonderful world of podcasts. I'll put the link in the YouTube channel in the show notes too. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro to the show. Also, thanks to Matt Kugler who sang it and Claude Equay who wrote it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember, it's never too late to start singing with your feet. Thank you.